Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. Today, I'm going to talk about time management. The reason why I'm going to talk about it is because I've received a lot of emails from patrons asking me to talk about it. They have all been uh, observing that I spend or I I get a lot of I get a lot of things done according to their perception. Uh, I, I don't know if it's if it's true or not, but from their perception, they're like, you know, Kirk, you you have a podcast that you uh, spend a good amount of time on. You have a job as a professor. You have a job as private practice in private practice as, as a therapist. You also have a private practice for supervisors. You also spend time with your family and your friends and your pets. And you surely have chores that you do and and you have to drive and you have to exercise and you have to sleep and you're writing books and you're in therapy and uh, you have musical uh, projects that you work on and stuff. And how do you get all these things done? It, it doesn't make any mathematical sense. Now, what I've always, what I said to that, so people have been saying this to me since I've been an adult. They, maybe even when I was a teenager, I don't know, but people would say to me when I was younger in my 20s or something, they'd say, man, you, you get a lot done. It seems like you get, you have all these, it's like, you know, they'd say for me, I, I have this job and I come home and that's it. <laughs> Whereas you, you have a job and you do all these other things, you know. And when I was in my 20s, when people would say that to me, I would say, I would think, well, uh, I, I, I would I would think there was something wrong with their perception of me. I'd say, well, I, you, you know, you don't know how much time I actually waste or you you just think I get a lot done when in fact I don't really get a lot done. Or I thought maybe I was just surrounded by a lot of people who just had really bad time management skills or something. But then in my 30s, more people started saying these things to me. And I started really trying to figure out why people were saying this to me. And I, I started to um, observe other people, particularly people who were close to me, people who I could observe throughout the day and evaluate how typical people spend their time. And I did start to realize that I did get more done in a typical week than, than other people. And I, and I, and I didn't spend that much time thinking about it. Honestly, I just was like, well, I guess that's a strength of mine. I have, I have weaknesses, you know, I've talked about my, my weakness for eating nachos. Uh, Those aren't very healthy, but I, I eat nachos a lot. (laughs) And so uh, among other weaknesses, like, uh, I don't know, arrogance is another weakness of mine. And I just sort of chalked it up to that and didn't really think that much about it. But then the patrons of the podcast were emailing me recently and saying like, and including actually, actually uh, my mom and my sister were also asking me questions about this. I don't know why all of a sudden, but people were asking me about it. And they're saying like, Kirk, how do you get all these things done? It doesn't make any sense. And, and again, if I was just reacting normally, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that question. But since the patrons asked, you know, your questions are my command. And so I sat down and did a deep dive on, on my thoughts on this. And at first I thought I didn't have much to say, but 
as usual, as I go deeper into this topic, I'm like, actually, there's a lot of things I can say about this. I, th- I think throughout my life, since I was a teenager, maybe even younger, I have been thinking about time management on some level um, and have always had it running in the back in the background of my mind. You know how you have like background programs running on your computer that you don't know about <laughs> until you actually check the registry? Well, I feel like that's what's happening in my brain. I'm, I, there's always a, a question mark as to it, whether or not I'm wasting my time or not and, and whether or not something could go faster with less effort. And so I don't know. I, and so today that's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, what I think about it and my various tips, my, uh, I guess, my philosophies about time and and all that stuff. Now, um, I don't know if any of this stuff is going to be applicable to anyone else. It's It's just me. And this isn't my area of expertise in terms of my profession. This is just one layperson talking to uh, other people about time and, and whatnot. So, so that's what I'm going to talk about today. And given my notes, uh, this is going to take me at least an hour, hour and a half or something. All right. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a therapist and a professor This is an episode that is just for patrons of the podcast, so if you're listening to this and you're not a patron yet, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to go to patreon.com and become a patron of the podcast. Uh, Once you become a patron, you'll get access to hundreds of patron-only episodes. You also are uh, free from listening to a lot of the commercials that you have to listen to if you're not a patron. And remember that a portion of your monthly pledge goes towards various charities that we support. All right. Welcome to the Patron Zone people. Thanks so much for becoming a patron. All right. So a few caveats before I go into this. First is that privilege has a lot to do with all this stuff. I, I currently possess a tremendous amount of privilege. Some of it I was born into and some of it I built myself. But but currently in my life... I have a tremendous amount of privilege, meaning that I have the freedom to choose a career. I have the freedom to choose how to spend my time. I have the freedom to give up certain things in my life that are wasting my time. I have the privilege of health so that I have the energy to take on the day. And so so there's all sorts of privileges that I possess that that influence my ability to uh, squeeze more out of life. And I'll, again, some of it I was born into in that I'm male and uh, grew up in the United States and that sort of thing. But also, I built some of my privilege in that I worked really hard to uh, get a certain career and to get the credentials. I, you know, th- those were things that I was not given. You could say that my privilege gave me the foundation upon which I could gain more privilege, but I could have not done those things, and and I did. And so, so, but any, but at any rate, I possess that privilege now, whether it was by my own effort or completely just by luck. So that needs to be recognized. 
Another caveat is, again, I'm no expert on this. This isn't my research area. I don't treat people. Uh, I do treat people kind of in this area. But it should be noted that this is just my ideas. And it should be noted that these tips that I'm about to provide are things that work for me. It's possible that none of these tips will work for anyone else. So I'm not claiming that my, uh, my techniques or practices will work for anyone else. I'm, all I'm saying is that they work for me. Okay, so let's start here. The first tip I have is that, or observation of myself, I guess, is that I've always been the sort of person who strives for logic and for uh, smart living. When, when I was young, I don't know if it was real or not, but I was labeled in my family as the logical one. <laughs> it was, uh, I attribute it to the fact that I had uh, two older siblings, my brother and sister, who were very social and extroverted. And I was quite a bit younger than them, you know, five, six, seven years younger than them. And was because of my youth and I guess my place in the family, I, I wasn't I wasn't really given a lot of space to fill, <laughs> if that makes any sense. My brother and my sister filled a lot of space. And so for me, I think, uh, I surmise, I, I analyze myself and think that I spent a good amount of my time early in life just in my own head and thinking. And plus, this is before video games and the internet and everything. And so I had Legos to play with and I could draw and I could pretend in my own fantasy world. And, and I did a lot of that for myself. I had imaginary friends, for instance, uh, which is indicative of people who um, are, are kind of, in a sense, isolated. Now, I'm painting a negative picture. My, my family was actually empirically wonderful <laughs> growing up. Uh, my parents, for instance, are still together, and they're they're wonderful people. Some of you might have even interacted with them <laughs> on the Facebook page, but um, and, and my brother and sister are also wonderful people. My young, my younger brother is also great. Um, uh, so, uh, but I think that what that did for me was early in life, I I really thought a lot about things, and I and again I was labeled the the logical one. So. I took pride, I guess, in early in my life in trying to be thoughtful and mindful and logical about things, and meaning not not as opposed to emotional. Uh, that's not what I'm saying, but but like um, just thoughtful, ha- having thoughtful systems instead of just blindly approaching life. You know, occasionally like observing the self and observing how the self interacts with the world and what is meaningful in life and all that stuff. So, so, you know, that, that's part of my observation of myself that, that I think plays a role for, for instance, I remember early in life, maybe the first time I went to the grocery store, I was trying to figure out how to, you know, have the least amount of trips from the car to the house. You know, you have eight bags of groceries in your car how how many trips how how what's the least amount of trips you can make um another example is that when i was in high school i was planning on going to college 
and but didn't really care where I was going to go. I didn't uh, when I was six. So when you're 16 in the United States, that's when you when you're in grade 11. That's when you really start thinking about college, and or at least in my neck of the woods. And I didn't really care where I wanted to go. Uh, I didn't. I, I didn't have a. I, I just didn't know much about college. My family isn't a huge college family. Um, I mean, we are, I'd say we're sort of like halfway a college family, uh, but um, my sister went to the University of Washington. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go there. Anyway, my, my point is, is that I, d- I figured out halfway through my junior year that I would automatically get in, into the University of Washington, even if I uh, got D's in all my classes. So <laughs> this is kind of a infamous story in my family, but, but yeah, so, so I was 16 years old and I, I, so at the time, and maybe even now the university of Washington, because they accept so thousands of people every year, they, they can't go over everyone's application and read everyone's essay and, and really think about every applicant. They, the way that we do at Antioch, you know, we interview every one of them. We meet every single one of them at, at the university of Washington, at least at the time, they, they took your test scores and they took your GPA and you got an index number. And, and every year there was a different index number cutoff point. And even in the worst years when they, they you know, had particularly good applicants, the, the index number only got so high. Well, what I figured out was as long as I graduated and, and passed uh, some key classes that you need to pass in high school – as long as I just graduated, it didn't matter what, how, how bad of a GPA I had from that point forward because my GPA was already really good and, wouldn't, and would only come down so far. And since my test scores were pretty good, or good enough anyway, I just knew I was going to get into the University of Washington. And so halfway through my junior year, I just logically decided that there was no use working hard in school anymore mostly because a lot of high school is busy work. It's not actually learning anything, or at least that's how I felt about things. I felt like a lot of the things I was doing in terms of tests and assignments was was meaningless. And now in some of my classes, I, I still chose to learn. Like I was taking a physics class and I really liked it. And so I, I still learned. But when it came time to study and it came, when it came time to actually perfect an assignment, I just... I, I just spent the minimum amount of time, and sometimes I didn't even turn stuff in. And, and you know, I started getting C's, and I started getting some D's. And it felt weird, but I, but I told myself, it doesn't matter. I'm still getting into the University of Washington. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what my high... No one looks at your high school GPA when you're applying for a job. So, so uh, halfway through my junior year, I, I just stopped working hard. And, and I had been working my ass off in school up to, up to that point. I had been very concerned about grades and very concerned about, you know, doing well in school. And then I just logically decided that it was a waste of my time. And so that was at the age of 15 or 16. I, 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 I've, so I've always been this way. I've always been like, um, the only reason why I would work hard at this assignment is because I would want to impress the teacher, which why do I care about that? Or because I want this really high GPA upon graduating from high school so I can brag to other people that I got a high GPA. I mean, what's the, what's the point in that? That doesn't, that doesn't enhance my life 
really. And plus the little bit of benefit of being able to, to brag or the prestige of it all is so small compared to the grand scheme of my life. I mean, I, there will come a day when I won't even remember what GPA I got in high school. So why am I working so hard on this? So, so that's just another uh, kind of observation that I have of myself in terms of, I think I've always been that way. <laughs> I've always just been like, what's the logic behind this? What do I want to see? And, and so in, in my junior and senior year, I gained so much time. And which basically translated me into me being able to spend much more time on music. I recorded so much music in high school and really experimented with uh, recording techniques and was was very had a, just a tremendous amount of fun and meaning in all of that. I still listen to some of those recordings in high school and just marvel at like the amount of sort of naive experimentation that I was doing and. Um, now no one wants to listen to that stuff cause it's p- p- objectively terrible music, but, <laughs> but, but, um, but man, did I have a lot of fun doing it? I also spent a lot of time in high school with my friends. We would, uh, every day, I think I was with the, this group of guys that I spent time with and Lita actually too. Lita was a part of that group. The, the, the first co-host of psychology in Seattle and, I loved that time. And um, now when my parents found out that I was purposely trying to get D's in my class, they flipped their respective lids, but <laughs> which is why it's an infamous story in my family, because my, my parents were, were, were understandably upset and, and, and didn't understand the, the way that colleges admit people. They, they, they refused to believe that I had figured out a system so that I could, you know, essentially fail my classes and thought that I was basing my decision on bad data. And, you know, I think most parents would, would be that way, but I had already figured it out. And so I just told them, look, I've, I've, it's logical. (laughs) Eventually my parents came around. They're like, Oh, actually, yeah, you're right. You, you didn't need to work on your grades. I think they also just worried that I was going to become lazy and uh, when I went to college, I would have a a bad work ethic, which I think was possible, but I don't know. I did, I did okay in college. Actually, so that attitude translated into college too. So when I was at the University of Washington, I figured out early on that college wasn't that much harder than high school, if any harder actually. And I figured out that with, I could bust my ass and have no social life or very little social life and get like really high grades. Or I could put like five to 10% the amount of effort into it and get a three point, get a B and, and have tremendous amounts of free time left over. So I sort of did this calculus. I'm like, well, I could spend, I could have no life and get a four four zero or a three eight or three nine or something, or I could totally have a rich uh, social life and get a three And I said to myself, what do I want in life? And I said, well, I want, I, I'd, I'd love a four and a life, but I think I'll choose the three because once I get out into the world, I suspect my GP. And again, I asked around. I suspect that my GPA won't matter that much because I'm not I'm not pre law or pre med or 
trying to get into some prestigious architecture school or something. I didn't have any aspirations for, for anything like that. And so I just, I said 3.0, that's, that's fine. I mean, I, I think that's respectable enough for anyone's concerns. And, and if anyone asks, I'll just say, look, I just made this choice that I wanted to have a life and I, I wanted to learn, but I also wanted to have a life. And so 3.0 exhibits that balance in my life. And, and I'm so happy I did because as in my senior year in high school, I had a blast in college and would not have had a blast if I had uh, striven for a 4.0. Is, is striven, is that a word? Strove? Anyway... Um, so obviously I didn't learn that much in college because my vocabulary would be better. But my, my point is, is that uh, I've always thought about that and think about all that. When I think about that just now, which I haven't really thought about ever, I think, just think about, I'm, I'm just thinking about all the time in, as I was 18 through, you know, 17 through 22, I'm just thinking about all the time I gained from that early realization that I, that I should have balance in my life. I should, I should definitely, I want to graduate, so I should definitely spend time enough to graduate. But I shouldn't spend, because it's not meaningful to me. Now, again, as I go over any of these kinds of decisions I made, made, made in my life, I want to tell people that maybe for you, it's tremendously meaningful for you in a situation like that to get a 4.0. Because a social life to you isn't as important. And that is totally fine. Everyone, that's the point of my whole thing here is not to do a specific thing, but to think about what's meaningful to you. If it's meaningful to you to uh, have more of a quote unquote balance that allows for a 4.0 and maybe you get a socialize once or twice a month. And that is the, that's the true best life for you. Then then awesome. And maybe for other people, college has nothing to do with the meaning of life and you shouldn't go to college at all, which is a whole other thing, right? We, we have these expectations that, you know, you got to go to college, you got to do this, you got to do that. And being really careful about not wasting your time. I, I talk to some people sometimes at, as faculty at Antioch where students will graduate with a master's in my program because my program's a master's program. So they'll graduate and they'll think, man, I really want to get a doctorate. Actually, I just had a supervisee who was talking with me about this. And she had recently, through working with me, realized that she has a lot to learn. Because I've introduced her to all these different ideas. And and she'll say like, man, how do I learn more about that? And I say, well, you know, we can talk about that. But a lot of your learning has to just occur with you on your own. You have to read books. You have to think about it. You have to watch videos. And because I was telling her, that's how I learned things. Well, and then at a certain point she comes to me and she's like, I think I want to get my doctorate and, and da, 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 da. And I, and I, and I said, Oh, great. You know, let's explore that for a second. And so we explored it. And after talking about it, she, had basically said that the only reason why she wanted to get a doctorate was because she wanted to learn more things. She didn't want a doctorate for any professional reasons. You know, she, she didn't want to, she didn't want to do research. She didn't want to do assessments. Uh, she, she just, the core of why she was choosing to get a doctorate is because she wanted to know more things. And what I told her was, yeah, a doctorate 
is one path to knowing more things, but it isn't a guarantee. You can go to a doctoral program and not actually learn that much because your professors aren't that interesting or you just don't jive much with the material or whatever. The other thing I said was you you can learn a lot on your own, which is what I've done. I mean, think about all the things I've done deep dives on on this podcast. Any any of those topics, I probably knew 2% of that of of that stuff until I did the deep dive. And so so I told her you can learn a lot on your own. Now, maybe you need to be in a doctoral program to to discipline you or force you, so to speak, to learn more things. I, I don't know. And after we explored that some more, she said, hmm, because there's a cost to going to, to a doctorate program, right? There's tens of thousands of dollars. There's, uh, there's probably student debt. There's, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of sweat. There's a lot of tears. There's, there's a lot of sacrifices you have to, to make. She, she has kids and a husband and a practice, and all of that would have to be uh, sacrificed in part and after we talked about it, she, she was saying, huh, maybe I don't want to get a doctorate. Maybe I would just rather have the life I have and actually just spend some time learning some things over time or, and or taking continuing ed courses, right? You can learn a lot if you choose the right continuing ed, ed course. And, and that's just one Saturday a month or something, you know, instead of all the money and time that a doctorate takes. Now, I'm not discouraging of anyone to get a doctorate, but I hope you get my point is that it's important not to just blindly go into these endeavors without really thinking about your options and really thinking about the sacrifices and the time and the energy and the effort that go into whichever option you take. So anyway, all right. So another thing here is Another observation I've I've made of myself, I've made of myself, is that I've always been aware of my limited time on this planet. I don't know exactly why I've always been aware of my limited time or or my death. I didn't experience early trauma that would be attributable to this. I, I've, uh, I, I didn't. People in my family didn't die. Uh, when I was young. In fact, the vast majority of people I care about are totally still alive and happy and healthy today. So it doesn't have anything to do with that sort of thing. It's, I I just don't, I have no idea why from an early age, I really have always been much more than average thinking about my limited time on the planet. I, I remember again in high school being supremely aware of the fact that we were all going to die one day. Now, at the time, uh, well, I'll say that for some of us, we believe in an afterlife and for some of us don't. But either way, we have a limited time in this realm, shall we say. I guess some people think that they'll get reincarnated. But anyway, the point is, is that no matter how you look at it, I I think there's a, a scarcity of time for all of us. And uh, and I was very much aware of it and, and have always been aware of it. In some ways, I've been terrified of it. There, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very, I don't know, demoralizing and depressing thing to know that we're all going to die. But there's also another part of it, which is just like, well, how, how do I want to spend the time I have left? 
And the only thing I can really point to in my early life that I think might have created this was when I was very young, I think five years old, I was fascinated with astronomy. (laughs) I remember in kindergarten or first grade, I would check out this one book from my school library that was just called Space. I actually found it at a maybe online and bought and bought the book. And so I have it on my bookshelf and it's this book that was published in the sixties and has illustrations. And, and it's, I think it's probably made for like a 12 year old or something. So when I was in kindergarten, I remember, well, one, I couldn't read. So I must've been like first or second grade by the time I could read, but I barely understood some of the things and mo- and didn't understand most of the things, but there was something about astronomy that really intrigued me. And as I went into more astronomy, I, and Carl Sagan and all that stuff in the seventies, I fully realized the vastness of the universe and fully realized the vastness of time. And when that was, when I realized that at an early age, I had a, a very weird mixture of feelings that that a lot of people have when they when they think about this stuff how small i am how how small the time involved in my life is how little i matter you know and and how confusingly infinite the the cosmos are and when I realized that, I think that actually planted a seed of, well, what's the meaning of life and how do you want to spend this time? And and it put everything into perspective too because things like worrying about what shirt I was going to wear to school or whether or not someone thought I was smart or funny or not was very small compared to the vastness of the cosmos. I mean, to say it's small compared to the vastness of the cosmos implies that it matters to the cosmos in which it doesn't. It doesn't even matter. It's it's like non-existent. It's so so insignificant. And so so I remember being very aware of that when I was reading. So maybe that's where it comes from. I don't know. At any rate, I've always been thinking about this. For for example, I just did a life expectancy test online. And of course, it's just based on very rough estimates of, of uh, you know, research on life expectancy. But based on my demographics, I'm exactly halfway through my life. Uh, according to this one website that said I'd live to be 92. And I think that that's probably a good estimate. My 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 white grandparents lived to be about 90 91 my my japanese grandma died recently when she was 101 my japanese grandfather died when he was younger but he he had a pretty rough life he lived a very uh difficult life uh he worked as a laborer a lot and i think he had a lot of stress and and so um so, uh, you know, maybe I'll die younger. But the point is, is that <laughs> I I have some amount of time left. Now, I could get run over by a bus tomorrow or get cancer tomorrow or something. Who knows? But but on average, I, I probably have about 
2,400 weeks left, according to this estimate. So, so let's say I have about 2,000 Saturdays left in my life is, is the way I kind of like to think about it. Maybe more, maybe less. And since I was very young, I've always thought, well, what do I want to do with those Saturdays? When I'm, when I'm toward the end of my life and I look back at all those free Saturdays, because I don't work on Saturday, when I look, think about all those Saturdays that I had, what do I want to see? Do I want to see that I did this or do I want to see I did that? And one of the things I do not want to see when I'm on my deathbed about my Saturdays is that I spent all those Saturdays mowing my effing lawn. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I, I have spent a lot of Saturdays mowing a lawn. I, I've lived in various homes in Seattle and sometimes I would have humongous uh, no I, I lived in this one house on beacon hill that was on this really steep hill and the whole front yard was lawn and i was renting so i i couldn't landscape you know what i mean and couldn't afford to anyway but but the lawn was like this really steep hill and any of you lawn people out there know that if mowing a lawn on a hill is extremely hard, the flatter the lawn, if, if you have a super flat lawn, it's like really simple. It's just like no time at all. But anytime you start to involve hills and, and of course rain and it, you know, it's frequently raining, it, it was a huge ordeal. And I would really have to psych myself up to mow this freaking lawn. And then you have to deal with all the yard clippings and, and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, and the gas and the oil and da, da, da. but anyway, I I've spent a lot of time mowing lawns. At a certain point in my life, I just said, "How do I get rid of this time wastage? I don't care about a lawn. I mean, there's some benefit to having a lawn. You know, it's nice to run out there without your shoes on and have a place to roll around and th- throw a ball. But when I when I thought about my actual usage of a lawn in my life, I thought. Uh, maybe one or two days in the summer, I'm going to enjoy this lawn. And if I really loved a good lawn, I could easily just go down the street and go to a park that has a wonderful lawn. (laughs) And so, so the other thing is, is uh, I would deal with a lot of lawn things because I would want the neighbors to look favorably on my yard work. And again, at some point in my life, I just said, it's just not worth it. None of this is worth it. So I live in a house right now with with a lawn in the front and a lawn in the back, <clears throat> and they're probably medium annoying. The one in the front's pretty easy, but the one in the back is sort of on a hill. Um, and uh, <clears throat> and you know, there's it takes time, it takes effort, and I have decided that I don't care about this lawn. Uh, I I cared about this lawn I I have right now. When I first moved in, I, I cared a little bit more, but now I just I just don't care. <laughs> I mean, I cut it for sure, but probably it, it, I probably if I really wanted to be good about the lawn, I would spend probably I'd probably mow the lawn three to four more times than I do currently. So it gets a little long. the The lawn is terrible, by the way. It's like got all this crabgrass in it and moss, and there's all these patches that look kind of bad, and now, would I love it to be different? Yes. Would I uh, would I feel better if it were different? Yes. But do I want to waste? <laughs> uh, do I want to spend the amount of time every Saturday working on this thing to get it to? Is it worth it to me? 
And I answered a long time ago, no, it's not worth it to me. Yes, I would love a wonderful lawn. Yes, I like it when the lawn looks great. But is that worth three hours every Saturday? Is it worth that to me? And I've answered the question now. Now, maybe to you, the answer is yes. But the point is, is that because I read tons of astronomy that made me feel insignificant at the age of six years old, I refuse to waste my time on my lawn. That's just me. Again, other people might have a different a different attitude about it, which leads me to my next point, which is you should, for me anyway, uh, it's important for me to get angry about my time. I, when I, when I think about things that infringe on my time, I get angry and I, and it makes, and it compels me to protect my time. Uh, and I attribute part of this actually to a, a certain streak of narcissism that I have. I've talked about this before in other podcasts in that I, uh, I notice in me a streak of narcissism. It's evidenced by the fact that I feel capable or I, I feel, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm narcissistic enough to have a podcast in which I yammer into a microphone for hours every week and expect people to listen to it. <laughs> you know, that is an, ex- that's a, you know, it's a mildly to, that's a mild to extreme uh, narcissistic trait. Right. And so, although I would contend that I'm not malignantly narcissistic, I do have a, a mild to moderate case of benign narcissism. And one of the, offshoots of that narcissism when it combines with my desire to not waste my time on this planet and my and my very acute awareness of the fact that I have limited time left I I will be damned if I'm going to waste my time doing something that isn't worth it to me so it's a very selfish thing it's a very narcissistic thing I like for instance when I'm in line for something I I went to Disneyland recently and there were times when I was standing in line and I'm just thinking, look, all you other schlubs can wait in line, but fuck it if I'm going to wait in this line. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't you know, thinking about other people being schlubs, but, but I was definitely thinking about me. You know, what do I want? Do I want to wait in this line? Is it worth it to me to wait in this line? Is the ride worth it to me? And, and it definitely has a narcissistic uh, element to it of like, I deserve to not do this. <laughs> now, I wouldn't, I'm not so narcissistic to say I deserve to be at the front of the line because I don't, because I'm not, you know, I have to play my, you know, part in this, in this society. But, but I definitely have a narcissistic streak about my time, very protective of my time. And I get very angry when I feel like I'm wasting my time. Like if I'm at a social event that I don't want to be at, which isn't very often these days, but, but when it happens, I find myself slowly getting angry. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm totally wasting my time right now. And I, I have a sense that other people who aren't as narcissistic as I am don't have that sense of, that that they that, that this constant evaluation as to whether or not something is worth one's time, and so I think that's another factor is 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 my 
uh, narcissism actually helps to motivate me to get angry enough to take action to protect my time. <laughs> um, another part of this, actually, recent part of this, is me becoming chair of the couple and family therapy program at Antioch. So I've, I've always been faculty. I've been faculty at Antioch for 20 years now, but recently I became program director. And the, there was the difference between faculty and program director is enormous. The amount of work that a program director has to, has to do is so much greater than the work or not greater, but different. And, and I found myself, so as a program director, I actually taught less because they, as if you're program director, they say, well, you have to spend a lot of time with administrative things. And so, so you, you don't have to teach as much. Um, and a lot, a lot of that time gets filled with a lot of these meetings and a lot of these little program director tasks, putting out fires is, is the way that people refer to it. And I was program director for two years and pretty quickly about, about halfway through those two years, I very acutely felt that feeling of this is infringing on my life. I, I would be in a meeting for three hours and or less, the typical meeting that I would go to would be two hours long. And I'd, I'd just be sitting in this meeting and I'm in every, everyone in the meeting, everyone's a lovely person. Everyone's a, a wonderful, lovely, hardworking person. But I'd be sitting in the meeting and I'd just be like about halfway or about half an hour into the meeting. I'd be like, the meeting hasn't even started yet. We're just sitting here waiting for so-and-so to show up. And when so-and-so showed up, then we would do all these like agenda talk. I hate it when people talk about agendas. It's like, why is talking about the agenda on the agenda? Just start the agenda. You know, at the beginning of a movie, they don't say in this movie, you will see the following plot points. No, you just tell the goddamn story. So just start the meeting. Plus, the agenda is often printed out so I can look at it. I'm not blind. So so, so you can tell like, now every no one else feels this way. I talk to other people and they're like, man, what a great meeting. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? So this is me. Yeah, this is, everyone has their own sense of this sort of thing. But for me, when I was program director, these meetings would, they would put me in such a mood and I would, it was the sense that I was wasting my life. And I very quickly got upset and started thinking about ways to eliminate this feeling in my life. And pretty quickly, I, maybe after a few months of, of really thinking about it and, and, you know, noticing my emotions, I realized that I could not be program director anymore. Uh, there were other factors as well, but but this was a pretty big one. And I so I decided that I needed to figure out a way to not be program director anymore. And it was a it was a huge decision. I spent a fair amount of time thinking about it, talking about it, because it was empirically the pinnacle of my career to to become program director of the largest marriage and family therapy program in the region. And I'm talking like within several states, the, the couple and family therapy program, it might even be the biggest in the world. It's possible. I don't know. But we have, we have so many students, so many faculty members who are well-known. It's, it's, a, 
it's a you know has a really great reputation especially in our region because so many of our graduates came from Antioch and so many people are connected to Antioch and to be program director to be basically like at the pinnacle of this of this of this society to be able to walk into conferences and say like I am program director of the couple and family therapy program at Antioch University that's a big deal to be able to implement changes and to to call people to action and to to get things done and to make the program uh, the way I wanted it to be, to advocate for people, to hire my friends. <laughs> that was another thing. I, I could, I could hire friends to, and which I did, you know, and, and family members. And so it was a, I mean, I'm basically admitting to nepotism. They were absolutely qualified, you know, but I could encourage them to apply and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the point is, is um, that it was a, it was, the pinnacle of my career for sure. And I will, I will probably always see it that way, but I, it, was it worth it to me? <laughs> was it worth the time? And, and in terms of my time management credo, it was not worth my time. It had so many pros, but more cons mainly time was the con. That was mainly the problem was like, Every day I would have, there was some fire I had to put out. There was always some student who had some special issue that I had to deal with. There was always a faculty member that had some special issue. There's always some administrator and some, because when you're program director, you're basically connected to like thousands of people essentially. And you have to be involved in like all these decisions and there's all these little projects like upper management would say, you know what? I think we need, I think we need to, there was this one time where upper management had decided that they wanted to know the differences between my program at the Seattle campus and another marriage and family therapy program at at the new England campus, I believe. And now I understand the, the logic behind why they wanted to know uh, because Antioch wants to really become one university because we have campuses, all, we have five campuses across the United States and and they used to basically be independent little universities, but the university wants to be one university um, primarily for um, accreditation purposes from what I understand. But anyway, so they asked us, so some administrator on high said, uh, well, we need to, we need to have a, a way of knowing the, the, the overlap and the, the differences between these two programs. And so, of course, they reach out to the chair. They reach out to me and they say, Kirk, you know, we need you to work on this project. Well, this project took so much of my time. I had to research their program. I had to communicate with them. I had to think about my program. I had to write a lot. I had to make tables. And I'm not sure if anyone ever even looked at this stuff. Like, I I spent so much time in this and I submitted it and, and I don't know if anyone cared. <laughs> I don't, or I don't know the impact of, so I spent all this time and I don't know if it's worth it, I guess is the point. But because of the nature of the job, I couldn't really delegate it to someone else because no one else really knows what the program director knows. Anyway, going on and on. But my point is, is that I got angry I got annoyed. I noticed my emotions. I allowed my narcissism to help me. And I decided I made the big 
big decision to not be program director. Now, I was very careful about who I passed the program directorship to, and I spent a year training her. Imagine that, a year of training. <laughs> and, and, and I continue to actually train her, even though I'm not program director anymore. And so uh, it wasn't like I just abandoned things. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, next point. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that I recommend that people do, or the other thing I, I well, no, I don't recommend anybody do any of these things. I, I'm just going to stick to what I did. What I did was I built a career that allows for flexibility. When, when I, before I was a therapist, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And I, I f- sort of fell into a business degree at the University of Washington because I thought, well, business degree it can apply to a lot of different kinds of jobs. And plus, I, I wanted to own my own recording studio. And so I thought, well, maybe a business degree would help with that. And so after graduation, I, I fell into these businessy jobs, these marketing business jobs. And one of the jobs I, I got was, was a real career job. It was like my first real, real career job because I had to be at the office at 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. I, I was off work at 5 p.m. I had a lunch hour. I had an office. I had to wear a suit. There were meetings. I had a computer, which was actually really cool at the time for me because this is 93 or something. And I realized what it was like to have a normal life, to, to have a normal job from 8 to 5. And within two or three weeks, I realized this was not going to work for me. It, it was too rigid. I, I had to wake up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, which didn't feel good. I had to get ready. I had to stuff some, some breakfast in my face. I had to deal with traffic into Bellevue. I had to go to the office and, and, with within like an hour, I was like looking at the clock saying like, Oh my God, I've got seven, eight more hours of this crap. The, the bagel girl would come, the donut and bagel girl would show up and I'd be like, Oh my God, just give me a bagel. Like I need something to make me feel better. I mean, (laughs) you know, and, and office people out there, uh, you might be able to relate to this. Right. And so very quickly I said, I don't think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This, and again, I was only 23. So very early in life, I, I decided that the normal, so, so, and then I'd come home, then I'd fight traffic the way home. Uh, again, stuff some food in my face. And then I'd be so tired that I'd just veg out watching TV and I'd wake up and do the same thing all over again. And I, and I just thought like, there's got to be a there's got to be a better solution to this and so i while sitting in traffic i really thought about what other options there were options that would make a similar amount of money and that would provide much more flexibility and eventually i landed on therapist because according to my uh, estimation of the job which was actually correct is that being a therapist provides much more flexibility especially if you're in private practice and so I decided to become a therapist uh, partially and maybe even primarily because I wanted a job that was more flexible. I wanted a job where I had more control over my schedule because this eight to five thing was just driving me crazy. And so now it was somewhat of a naive choice to make 
I could have, it could have been a massive uh, miscalculation on my part. But the point is, is that that's just one time in my life, including not being program director, in which I thought about my career and wanted to figure out a way that would allow for flexibility. Um, and uh, I think that's very important. Now, again, for some people, they don't have the freedom to do that or the privilege to, the, to do that. But I think... Uh, especially if you're young, it, you know, if you're 65, it's not super easy to change careers. But, but if you're in your 20s or 30s, you absolutely have the ability and the time to think about this. If you don't like your job and or your job is completely time consuming, then I would absolutely think about your options. What I'm not saying is quit your job and move on to something else. What I am saying is do your research, do your homework, really think about it. Value your time. Be a little narcissistic about your time. And maybe in the end you figure out, actually, given all the options available to me, I think my current job is actually best for me. But at least you'll know that, that that's the best option for you. Um. You know, there's a lot of things that we just have to deal with, right? It's not like we can just make decisions and say, I want free time and I'm going to get it. It's a, it's a matter of sacrifices, right? Anyway. Okay, another thing that I think I've, I've done to have more time in my life is I figured out a way how to work at home. I, in my life, ha- have worked a majority of my hours in my own house or in my home Um, because uh, I think because I just like it, it's more comfortable, but also because I get, I get time when I'm at the office in my, the history of my various office jobs, I would waste so much time because of that situation. Not only did I have to like um, work at the office, but I also had, you have to get up in the morning at a, at an early hour, you have to, you have to get dressed. You have to like get presentable. I haven't shaved in a few days because there's been no reason for me to look presentable because <laughs> you can't see me right now. And also when I, you know, the last, well, <laughs> what, what am I saying here? My point is, is that it takes time to get presentable. So Although, so for me, I, I consider that kind of a waste of time. <laughs> it, now, you know, to people around me, I, I don't want to stink to high heaven, so I shower every day. But I'm in my sweats right now. I'm in a comfortable pair of socks. I'm in a comfortable shirt right now. Um, actually, I'm in a shirt that students gave me. It has stormtroopers and Darth Vader crossing the Abbey Road um, sidewalk or uh, crosswalk. Anyway, uh, it's a little cross Beatles, Star Wars thing there. Um, so anyway, my point is, is that I have uh, decided to, to work from home and I've gained so much time. I mean, think about the commute and the traffic and the parking and the small talk you have to engage in at the office. Now, I love the people I work with. I do. But I've had jobs and offices in the past where... I would find myself dealing with small talk throughout the day. And again, lovely people love the interactions, but sometimes I felt like, man, 
you know, I have friends and family that are waiting for me at home. And although I love these people at work, when I think about my, the grand scheme of my life, I'd rather be spending time with my friends and family and not this rando person at work. Again, people in my work are lovely people, but, and some people at work I have very tremendous long-term relationships with, but, but anyway, there were times when I'd be small talking at work and I'd just be like, man, and when I was at home, none of that would happen. The other thing is small talk at work would completely interrupt my flow and I wouldn't be able to get anything done. I mean, imagine if I was doing this podcast right now and I was at an office and people would periodically bop in and out of my office. Well, imagine the, the, the break in the flow that would happen. Anyway, um, also, you know, going to lunch, you know, get, getting lunch at an office is a process. Whereas when I work at home, I just walk into my kitchen and do my normal thing, right? But when I'm at the office, I'm like, okay, where do I want to go eat? And should I go with someone else? And you know, is that so healthy? And then maybe the restaurant is crowded. You know, it's a, it's a process. Now it's not without its enjoyment because I actually love eating out. But my point is, is that uh, working at home has saved me so much time, just the commute alone, right? Um, Now that's just me. Some people love working in offices. They love getting out of the house and they don't, I, I have a friend right now who is actually working from home and he hates it. And he, can't wait to get back. He actually traveled a lot, which I consider to be a lot of time that you have to spend traveling for work. But he hates working from home and and he can't wait to get... So I'm not saying... What I'm saying is is that for me, working from home has been a tremendous um, boon to my time. Okay. Another factor here is being very mindful of building a career that makes enough money. Now, I know we don't like to talk about money or income. It's it's considered a, a crass topic. It's considered kind of a classist topic, and, and it is. But but I find that there are two types of people when I when I talk with them about career. There are people who think about money, how much the job is going to make, how much their career is going to make. And there are people who think about the, the amount of meaning they're going to get out of their career. And there's not a lot of people who have both. And what I did in my life is I thought about both. I thought about not only how much meaning I was going to, because I have built a career that provides tremendous amount of meaning in my life. I, I, I love the activities I'm involved in. Almost everything I do, especially now that I'm not program director anymore, almost everything I do involves something that is meaningful to me. Working with a client, talking on the podcast, working with a student, working with a supervisee, um, talking with my own therapist. I mean, going to my own therapist is a, is a part of my career in a sense, you know, uh, self-care for myself is a part of my career. And so there's a tremendous amount of meaning for me. And I built that very intentionally and slowly over the past 20 some odd years. But the other thing I thought about was money. How much money am I going to make? Because Let's be real here. The more money you have, the more flexibility you have in your life. If, for instance, I did not make enough money in my private practice, I could never have even started this podcast. You know, I, I, at the time when I started this podcast nine years ago, 
I was, I was, I wasn't actually teaching at Antioch at the time. I was, I had taken, well, I'd quit. And then Paul pulled me back in a little bit later, but I was working full-time private practice from my home office. And so, and had very intentionally over, you know, 10, 15 years, slowly built my private practice up to the point where I didn't have to depend on any other gig. And so I was just working private practice and, and only saw like 20, 25 clients a week and was, was making quite a bit of money. I mean, not like, not like rolling in dough, but, but, you know, comfortable for sure. And therefore I didn't have to work 40 hours a week. So because I earned a fair amount per hour, and again, that, that, that didn't just fall on my lap. I had to very carefully and intentionally build up that practice um, so that I would only have to work 20 hours a week and, and earn a pretty good living. And so therefore, I didn't have to work more. And therefore, I could spend my time doing other things like music and like the podcast. So when the podcast popped into my head and I decided to go for it, I had so much time that I could spend on it. And in those early days of the podcast, I had to spend just countless hours on every episode, mainly because it was video, but also because I had no idea what I was doing. And every step of the process was laborious. I mean, just getting it posted to the internet took me hours. And so, um, so if I didn't earn enough, if I, if I earned much less per hour, then I would have had to have worked more in that week. Right. And therefore would not have had the time to build a podcast or work on music or spend as much time with friends or spend time with family or spend time with uh, my cats. You know, there there's money has a definite role. Now, again, it's a privileged thing for me to say, but and my privilege definitely gave me the the foundation. Definitely, I mean, just think about if I was raised in some other country, just how um, different things would be for me. But having said that, I definitely made choices to get to where I am. Now, if I really was focused on money, I would have worked for Microsoft because I knew at that, that this was. When I was early career, this was this was early to mid '90s when the dot com boom was happening, and all I, I had some some of my friends were instant millionaires because they worked at Microsoft or some other startup. And I remember, and I so so mid '90s, I had this thought like, maybe I should get on this gig because I have friends who will give me a job, and before long I'll get divested and I'll have tons of stock and I'll be a millionaire too. So I could have chose that, but I didn't find for me that that would provide meaning in my life. And so, so I, so I chose a different path. And so it's that it's both of those things. It's meaning and money. Now, if I just chose meaning, because I, I had friends who were choosing careers solely based on meaning and although their career and their job provides a tremendous amount of meaning in their life and they, they really feel like they're giving back to the community and they're working hard, they're working 50, 60 hours a week for very little money and therefore have 
they don't have a lot of power over their time. They can't cut back their hours because they need to work that much in order to earn enough to live. And so now again, this is fraught with all sorts of privilege and all sorts of caveats about all sorts of things. But my point is that for me, I, I very, I've had a very intentional uh, um, focus on both meaning and money because both of those things I think are related to time because when you spend your time doing something meaningful, you don't feel like you're wasting your time, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is, is if you're making more money, then you have more power over your time, which means that you can spend time on meaningful things. So the other thing is, and this is perhaps a little crass as well, is that when you earn a lot of money doing something, it actually can feel kind of meaningful. (laughs) Um, And that's weird to say, given my attitudes about capitalism and whatnot. But, but I think that meaning or uh, money can provide meaning in that you're thinking, well, okay, this job is really frustrating, but at least I'm making a good living. And I think that that is a total viable situation. For example, with this podcast, there, in the beginning of the podcast, I I'd actually didn't... So there, in the very beginning, I spent a lot of time, but then there was sort of a middle zone there where I, I didn't spend that much time in the podcast. I definitely spent time, but not that much time. I was getting my doctorate at the time. I was in a full-time band at the time. I had a full practice. I was full... You know, I didn't have time to work on the podcast, and so I didn't. But once I was done with my doctorate and, and could really spend time in the podcast, I said to myself look, if this thing doesn't make money, it's going to be hard to justify spending as much time as I do on this thing. And so I, I spent, again, a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of intentionality figuring out a way so that I could make at least a little bit of money at this so that it could feel worth it, if that makes sense. And because of you patrons, uh, that's the, the main reason why the main uh, funds come from patrons. And so because of you guys, um, the podcast has started to make money and therefore has started to have some, some justification of its activity. And some of that has to do with meaning. It's, it's kind of a cool thing to make a, to have a part-time job as a podcaster. And, and that provides meaning. If I did not, if I wasn't making any money or was making very little money at this podcast, I would still do it in all likelihood because it does provide a lot of meaning for me. But the confluence of actually making money at this thing and spending as much time as I do on this thing, like it really enhances the meaning, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. But anyway, Another thing I do is I'm always evaluating, as if you couldn't tell, <laughs> I periodically, or it might seem like I'm obsessed with time, and maybe I am, but I, I think, I don't think I think about it that much, but, but I do have a periodic practice of thinking about how am I spending my time. For, for example, this was, I don't know, 10 years ago, I spent an entire month writing down everything that I did every five minutes. So every five minutes, I would, in this little notebook that I carried around with me, I would note what I was doing at the time. And then I wrote it all down on a, in a Word document. And then 
at the end of the month, I, I looked at it all. And I looked at, and it was interesting because I was like, man, I spend a lot of time doing these things that I wouldn't have thought actually took that much time. Because there's a lot of things you do sort of automatically, right? And so, so I spent a, an entire month writing this down, and then I spent a while kind of evaluating that. Now, that was very time-consuming in and of itself and is, is a little over the top, perhaps. But my point is, is that I've always had this, had this thought of like, how am I spending my time? Is it worth it? Is it meaningful? Is, is there another option? How can I gain more time in my life? Is there something I can let go of? So, so I'm, I'm often thinking about that. Another thing that I do for myself is I don't watch very much t- television. Now, before I go into this, I'll just say that I hate it when people judge people for watching television. If, if someone wants to watch eight hours of television today, then that is totally fine. There's, there's nothing more valuable in life that people do people who go fishing you know it's like if someone says someone comes to work after a weekend and they're like uh you know so david what did you do all weekend and david's like i watched tv on my couch that's all i did (laughs) okay and then the person's like joe what did you do all weekend and joe's like i went camping and I went fishing and hiking. Now, who do you think is going to get the praise? Well, Joe is going to get the praise. You know, they're going to go, Joe, what? that sounds great. David, what's wrong with you? Neither one of those activities is empirically better than the other one. Now, people will say, well, one involves exercise, blah, blah. No, I mean, it, everything, every, most of what Americans do with their leisure, None of it is better than the other. You know, reading a book is not better than watching a movie. Now, if you like reading a book better than watching a movie, then by all means read a book. But neither one of them is better than the other one in terms of morality. And we tend to look down on people who watch a lot of TV. So I'm not saying that. If you want to watch a lot of TV, that's fine. But for me, I find that the television is so interesting there's so many flashing lights and so many channels to watch. And, and television shows are literally designed to keep you watching. The news is literally designed to keep you watching. Television, its sole purpose is to keep you watching. It's, it, it has nothing. This, the television does not care about making your life better. It doesn't care about enhancing your life. It doesn't care about helping you learn anything. It doesn't care about informing you. It doesn't care about making you a better voter. All it cares about is keeping you watching every single channel from the history channel to CNN, to ABC, to HBO, to Netflix. Everything is designed to keep you watching. And, and that's it. And so it is it over the past 60, 70 years of its development, it has figured out exactly how to keep me watching. And if I'm not conscious of that, of that reality, I will get sucked in and I'll watch hours and hours of TV. And then once it's all done, I'll be like, wait, how did that happen? How did that, how did I just, how did that happen? And, and for me, that's not, there's so many other things I'd rather be doing. Now, sometimes TV is awesome. Stranger Things season two is coming out soon and I'm going to watch the crap out of that. 
I also enjoy The Crown. That's awesome. I also enjoy, uh, I don't like the new Narcos season. I mean, you out there, you know, I watch a crap ton of TV. I talk about it all the time. The Americans, I watched, I was obsessed with that show for a few months. I watched all five seasons in, in one sitting pretty much. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've wa- I watched all of Deep Space Nine back in the day. <laughs> I, I love TV, but, but the vast majority, if I, if I just let myself go on autopilot, most of the TV I would end up watching would have nothing to do with my favorite shows. It would have to do with like some weird reality TV show or, or some, you know, like uh, mediocre sitcom or some news channel or some just worthless documentary or something. And so for me, I really try to not watch TV. And so I, I really try to watch, TV very intentionally. For example, I love football. Now, football is American football. Watching football is a huge uh, time suck. I, I, you know, as a UW alumni, I love uh, Husky football, especially in the last few years. The Huskies have been great. And so, so Saturday, I, I spend hours watching Husky football. I, and then Sunday, I watch the Seahawks. The Seahawks have been great in the last 10 years. And so I'm, I'm watching a crap. So I watch, Saturday, I watch the Huskies. And Sunday, I watch, I watch the Seahawks in the fall, which we're in right now. Now, I could spend even more time watching the pregame. I could spend more time watching other, other college, other pro games. But I intend, and, and like it. I could, I, could watch, I could watch football all day Saturday all day Sunday, uh, especially if I'm with my friends and we're joking around, like, um, which wouldn't be that much of a waste of time because I'm with my friends. But anyway, the point is, is like, if I, if I just let myself go, I could watch, and then you got like Monday night football and you got Thursday night football <laughs> and there's some college games on Fridays. And, and so it, it can be a big time suck, but I've consciously said, I'm going to limit myself to watching just the Husky game and just the Seahawks game. Now, that's still a lot of time. But here's the trick is I will DVR it, right? You record it on your cable recording situation. And I don't start watching the game until halfway through or later. I start watching the game later. So what this does is I can fast forward not only through all the commercials and the entire halftime, which, which I, I'm sort of interested in, but I, I would rather spend that time doing something else. Not only that, but I can actually skip in between plays. When you act, so football games take four hours, maybe longer, of airtime. So if you just sit down and you watch from kickoff to the last second, it's probably about four hours, three to four hours, maybe longer. Well, when you actually just watch the actual playing of the game from snap to whistle, the game is 20 minutes long, (laughs) 20 minutes, 20 minutes of action and three and a half hours of, of commercials, of commentary, of halftime crap, of highlights of now, sometimes you want to see the replay and that kind of thing. That's fine. But so when I watch football, 
um, when I watch Husky games with my friends, so that doesn't count, but, but, but I watch Seahawks games by myself. When I'm watching it, I record it, and then I and I avoid the internet so that, you know, in case people post like what's happening in the game. And then I fast forward through all the crap and I end up only spending about an hour watching a Seahawks game. So now I'm not, this isn't for everybody. Maybe some people love the in between. Maybe people love the halftime. Maybe people love the commercials. That's irrelevant. The point is, is that I have thought about it and I have said, football is worth my time, but there's got to be a way to reduce the amount of time I actually have to spend doing this thing. And it doesn't require that much effort on my part. All I have to do is click on this button on the cable thing and say, record all the Huskies things and record all the Seahawks things. And then come game time. And then on my calendar, I mark when the game is. And then my, I get this little calendar alert. And then I think, okay, well in a few hours I'll start watching the game because then I can fast forward. As I talk about all this stuff, I'm guessing some of you are just thinking, my God, Kirk, you are obsessed with time. <laughs> and may, again, maybe I am, but I, this is just me putting it all into words. In In my daily life, I actually give it very little thought. Like the amount of time it's taken me to explain to you my football watching practice is probably a thousand times the amount of time I've spent actually thinking about it. <laughs> because it was just like, um, geez, you know, there's got to be a way that I can. And I was like, oh, I'll just record it and fast forward. So it, it was, that's all it took. But the point is, is that um, I thought about it. So, and, and, I, and, what, and I love the fact that I can count, you know, dozens if not hundreds of hours that I've gained from, having that little thought process that I had a few years ago. Um, but the broader point here is be very mindful of your TV watching. If you just sit down in front of the TV and channel surf, and that isn't what you would like to do with the rest of your life, then don't do that. <laughs> just ha- have something else, uh, have a practice of turning off the TV. I, I actually will, whenever I can, I'll turn off the TV. Like if, if the TV's on in the background, I, I'll get, it'll suck me in because I'll just be like, what's that? You know, what's that flashing light? Ooh, ooh news report, you know, something scary. How do I, st-? you know, I got to watch that. And there's this other voice in my head of just Kirk, turn it off. Just turn the freaking thing off. <laughs> and I do. And my life, not only do I get a ton of time back, but actually I have a much less stressful life. Anyway, so that's something else I do. Another thing I do is I try to manage video game time. Now, for some of you, you're like, I don't play video games. But a lot of people do these days. Not only do you have like the traditional video games like Xbox and PC video games like, I don't know, The Witcher or Halo or something. But you've also got like games that people play on Facebook or games that people play on their on their phones. And now I love video games. And so I have I have spent, I don't know, probably five years of my life playing playing video games destiny 2 just came out and i'm i'm enjoying that one i don't know why destiny 2 is just is so great but it's it's just you sit down you can play it real fast it's not complicated it, it feels good so yeah i play video games but i try to be very mindful of of how of my practice of playing video video games because if i do if i'm not careful i can spend almost all of my free time playing video games. And 
Because again, video games are designed to keep you playing and to make it fun and to compel you to, to play and play and play. Particularly the ones that try to coax you into paying money, like some of the phone games. But anyway, um, I, uh, if I'm not mindful, I'm going to fall into that trap. And so I try to be very careful about that. Now, this doesn't mean I cut out video games because I like video games, but I try to just be very careful. And so what that has amounted to in my life at this point is I, I try to only play a video game for like a half an hour or an hour or something, which for some people might be like, my God, that's a lot of time. But, but when I have spent entire months playing a game like Civilization or something, that is a, a pretty big improvement. Now, again, if I decided for myself that I loved playing a particular game or even games in general, and I wanted to spend my time doing that, then that is completely fine. But for me, since I want to do the podcast, since I want to work on music, since I want to exercise, since I want to spend time with my friends and my family and my animals, and I, I want to spend time thinking about things, I want to spend time traveling, well, something's got to give. And so video games has to be limited in that way. And so that's, that's why I limit my video games. Not because I think video game play is immoral or a waste of time. I, I don't think it, of that at all. I just think, how do I find balance in my life? Anyway. Another thing, and actually I, this is the thing I noticed when I observed other people, is that I consider nighttime to still be a time that I could do things like that are meaningful to me or productive, so to speak. What I observe in other people that are close to me, I observe that af after a certain hour, like, I don't know, five or six or seven, the vast majority of people basically shut down. Now, depending on your sleep schedule, you know, if you go to bed at nine, then shutting down at seven is probably uh, normal. But, but, you know, I find that a lot of people, they consider evening time to be veg time. Now, again, if that's what you want to do, then great. But for me, there's so many things I want to get done in my day. I want to, I want to work. I want to exercise. I want to go to the grocery store. I want to, maybe I have to mow the lawn. <laughs> I want to do a podcast. I want to talk to a friend. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and so one of the major uh, things that I think I've realized for my life is that evening time can be very productive hours. So there are times when at midnight, I am working on something. Sometimes I'm recording a podcast at midnight and I am. I, and so what, what I observe in other people is, like I said, at a certain hour, they just have this cog, they just have this belief system that says, well, after dinner, you don't do work or after dinner, you don't do, you don't work on a project or after dinner, you don't go to the grocery store, or after dinner, why do you do things after dinner? That's just, that's not, it's not normal. There's something weird about going to the grocery store at midnight or something. And, and I find that that is limiting to people. Now, again, I'm not saying that you're supposed to be productive after dinner. What I'm saying is, is that our cultural notions about evening time are based on traditional life patterns that, people had in the past and might not necessarily apply to you. And it maybe for you, your veg time is in the morning and your productive hours are at night. I don't know. But the point is, is that when I observe other people, I find that 
I, I imagine if they wanted to be more productive or get more fun things done, then evening time is a time to think about doing it. Another thing that I've noticed about myself is that I'm, I'm hypomanic. I'm, I'm a little manic. I have a, I have a mild case of, of mania, meaning that I have a tremendous amount of energy and people have sometimes commented on that since I was young. They'll just, they'll just be like, man, you have a lot of energy. (laughs) Do you ever get tired? You know? And, I, so I think that's a factor too. I think it's there's a biological uh, thing about me, and other people have this too, that just gives me a lot of energy. For example, at night, I have to force myself to go to bed. Be, there, it's very rare that I'm like, man, I'm so tired, I have to go to sleep. I, I do not have that. I always have to say, Kirk, it's time to go to bed. And if you don't go to bed, you're you're not going to get enough sleep tomorrow. So, so go to bed now. And then I, and then usually it's like another hour or two before I actually go to bed. (laughs) But, uh, but so, so I think that's another factor. Another thing is get enough sleep. Sleep is so, so important and something I didn't realize fully until more recently, get enough sleep and get good sleep which means usually having a routine where you fall asleep and wake up at the exact same time every day. Your body gets used to a certain cycle. And so having a routine is, is very important. Um, getting enough sleep, like I said, making sure you set a, up enough time, making sure that you have good sleep hygiene, good sleep practices, not drinking a lot, not eating before you go to bed getting rid of certain weird notions. Like I, I can't tell you how many people, cause I take naps. So part of my sleep regimen is actually noticing when I'm tired and, and taking the time to actually take a nap. I used to uh, even uh, anywhere I can take a nap anywhere now. I didn't used to, but I've learned how to take a nap anywhere. I, especially when I need one. And so I, when I talk to people, around me, they're like, man, I'm so tired all the time. And I was like, well, why don't you take a nap? And they'll be like, oh, I can't do that because I, I can't nap, they'll say. Or, you know, naps are for lazy people. Or if I nap, I'll never wake up or something like that. And I'm always like, I don't think, you, I don't think you've given naps enough of a chance. Because in some ways, and people will argue that we were designed to nap. We were designed to get five or six hours at night and then nap for an hour in the middle of the day. And there are times when that model of sleeping is extremely good for me. So uh, there are other times when I don't need a nap, but my point is, is that uh, napping is good <laughs> and might feel so. So there are people that will be like, well, napping is a waste of time. I, I have too many things I have to do today, but we always have to think about how, how, uh, how much energy we have and how, how effective we are, right? So, for example, at your job, if you are on a kind of a salary position that is based on getting certain jobs done, well, if you if you're if you're better rested, you can actually get your work done a lot faster, right? Which gives you more time. So, say you get an extra two hours of sleep at night, to, so that you wake up in the morning rested. And an eight-hour job, the job that would normally take eight hours only takes four hours. So you netted two hours in that equation. 
So you spent more time sleeping, but you gained a bunch of extra free time because you were so much more effective at your work. The other thing is, it's just like the meaning of life, right? Because if you're constantly lacking energy and you're in a bad mood and you're not as happy as you could be and you're you're eating more because when you lack sleep, you eat more typically. It's like, how do you want to live your life? If, if you want to live your life, if you want more time, but have all your time be crappy, <laughs> then, and I know all of you know this, so I'm probably preaching to the choir on that one. Another thing I do is I prioritize. I really try to figure out what is important. And a part of this has to do with having a to-do list. I, I have a to So on my browser, on my computer, I have my email is always up, my calendar is always up, and my to-do list is always up because I have a web-based calendar or a web-based to-do list. And so every morning I wake up and I get my coffee and um, go to the bathroom and take my shower and do my little calisthenics. And then I and then I glance at my to-do list and I prioritize what I want to do in the day. And I try to be realistic because if you try to do too much, then you'll get overwhelmed and you won't do any of it or you'll feel ashamed for not getting everything done. So I try to be realistic and I, and I always look at my to-do list. So not only does my to-do list help me to organize my time, but it also helps me to prioritize my time to, to say like, well, that to-do list item is not that big of a deal. In fact, you know what? I'm going to scratch it off the list because it's, it's really, I don't want to be bothered with this thing on the, on the to-do list. So I think prioritizing is a big deal, which is pretty obvious. Um, another thing to me is that I try not to worry about things because actually worrying has a, has a, it, worrying is a huge time waster in my life. You know, for, for example, just, just one worry that I've had in my life is identity theft. I've, I've worried about my identity being stolen and actually I've had my identity stolen. I, uh, years ago, I don't know exactly how. I think they stole my mail, but I I had someone who had an had a driver's license in my name. <laughs> they had they had their picture and they had forged my signature and they had they had a driver's license with their face on it. And I mean imagine that. And they were and they were cashing checks and they were going into my bank and they were getting money out like physically. It was it was really awful. So so there's a risk of identity theft, and it's not only potentially harmful to my life, but it's also time, it was very time consuming to unravel all that because I had to go out, go to all these places and say, "Look, someone withdrew money from this blah blah blah, and I can, I have to contest it because it was not me, and you didn't actually check the ID close enough or blah blah." Um, and and incidentally, the the reason why I even found out about this whole thing was one of those check cashing places thought the ID looked a little funny and actually contacted me. <laughs> the, the manager actually took the time and actually called me and said, I did you, were you trying to withdraw money? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no. And they're like, well, I think someone's stolen your identity. And so anyway, so uh, commend him. He's a hero. But my point here is that since identity theft was a thing, I, have been worried about it, which is which is a good thing. Everyone should be concerned with it, right? So over the years, I have thought about how much time do I want to spend 
worrying and trying to address this. Now, the first thing I said to myself was, worrying about it does nothing. So I'm either going to take action or I'm not. And so uh, worrying about it is just a complete waste of time because that just drags me down and does nothing. So recognize the logical risk. I have a risk of having my identity stolen, which is obvious because someone actually did steal my identity. Okay, so don't worry about it. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Okay, so now there, I could do a ton of things. Every day I could check my, you know, Equifax or not Equifax, <laughs> um, whatever, my, my credit rating. I could check my credit rating every day. I could change my password every day. I could shred all of my mail. I could, I could talk about it. I could research it. Every, I could spend my entire life trying to reduce my risk of identity theft. Now, that still wouldn't mean that I wouldn't have my identity stolen because it could totally happen regardless. But I could significantly reduce the risk if I, if I spent a lot of time on it. But so on the and on the other end of the spectrum, I could spend zero time on it and have a higher risk of having my identity stolen. So, for me, I figure I sort of I did some re, some minimal research of non sensational news reporting because if you go to the news, they're going to try to scare you because they want to keep you watching. So I actually had to go to the actual data, figure out the risk that I'm and figure out what's effective to reduce my risk. You know, because there are things that you'll get sold that actually don't reduce your risk or don't reduce it very much. Um, so I really try to think about, okay, what do I want to do? And so for me, what I have decided to do was I got, I always make sure I live at a place with a mailbox that has a lock on it. Because I, I think that's how they got my my signature because I think they stole one of my bills that I had paid and I had a check in there and then they looked at my signature and that's how they got my bank account number and that's how they got my name and anyway. So, so I, so I, I'm willing to do that now. Does that eliminate my risk? No, but it reduces some of the risk. I also have really thought about a password system that is simple, but sufficiently complicated enough so that, I don't have to spend that much time on it, but but also um, is uh, a little harder for hackers to hack into. Now, can a hacker still hack into it? Yeah, uh, but I've reduced my risk. Now, so the reason why I'm saying things like, can my identity still be stolen? And I'm saying yes. The reason why I say that is because there's no way to eliminate risk. And so the it's important to know, you know, it's like, well, I can I can do if I look at the situation logically I can do some things to reduce my risk but I'm not going to eliminate the risk and if because if I set the goal I'm going to eliminate the risk then I'll spend I'll waste my entire life doing something that's impossible and I'll spend way too much time doing something so what I'm saying is is like look you know it could happen to me regardless but I'm willing to do these this set of things and I've decided this is worth my time because it, it takes time to like get a new mailbox and uh, you know s- screw it into the mailbox post <laughs> and make sure that you keep the keys and uh, it takes a little bit more time to open that thing up and blah blah um, you know so so that's just an example of how I manage my anxiety about certain things in my life you know it's similar to like my health right I 
cannot reduce my risk of heart disease to zero. I will always be at risk of having a heart attack or some other cardiovascular thing. And at times I worry about my health. I think, oh my God, like, am I ruining my body? Am I doing this? And, and so over the years, I've, I've tried to think more carefully. And actually, as I sort of introduced this topic, I think I could spend a lot more time thinking about this to make sure I'm not wasting my time. Because probably every day, about 10 to 20 times, I, I spend at least some time and energy, I probably waste some time and energy thinking about my health and thinking about how I could do better or how I I'm ashamed that I'm not exercising enough or something like that. So actually this is one of those areas that I probably need to sit down and really think about how I spend my time, not only in practical matters like exercising and eating and stuff, but also in terms of my worry and how I spend my effort mentally doing this sort of thing. So, so anyway, um, I'll make a note of that. Think about that one. With the point of there's no there's no way to eliminate risk, and but there are some things you can reduce risk, and figuring out where you want to be in that equation, so that you can do the things that you've decided you're going to do that that make sense to you that aren't a waste of time, and then getting rid of the worry, getting rid of the the nagging thought in your head that something is wrong, because that is a huge waste of time. Uh, I hope that makes sense. I've never really talked about that before. Anyway. Also, another thing that I do is I try to figure out when I'm most productive. For example, I am the, I'm probably the most productive when I, it's late morning, early afternoon, and I have two cups of coffee in me. <laughs> That's when I'm probably the most productive in terms of being able to think the fastest being able to stay focused. I figured out that a long time ago when when I would write, I was the most productive between like, I don't know, 10 and one. And, and outside of that, I could spend time doing certain things, but I wouldn't be as productive. And so I, over time, have really tried to capitalize on that because I figure the, the three hours between 10 and one, when I have two cups of coffee, I can I can get so much done and it'll save me so much time because if I tried to do that same work at another time of the day, it would take me three to four times as, as much time to do it. So I, so I really try to make sure that I capitalize on my most productive time, if that makes any sense. Also, another thing I do, which I was kind of talking about earlier, is I try not to let other people interfere with my time. And I try to only do things that I, I, I have determined are worth my time. I, I try not to hang out with people I don't want to hang out with. You know, if someone invites me to something and most of me doesn't want to go, then I just don't go. Because it, whereas in the past, I might have gone because I would have felt bad or guilty or ashamed if I didn't go or something. And now I'm just like, I'll be damned if I'm going to waste my time on that. You know, I, I'm never going to get those four hours back. And so... I'm not going to do that with the, with that person. Uh, so yeah. Having said that, there are times when I have to kind of force myself to get out of the door, and then I really enjoy myself. So it's not really as cut and dry as that. But anyway, another thing that I do is I try to do it now instead of later. That's that's a huge thing that I try to practice. For example, when when I get the mail out of the mailbox, I come into the house. 
in the past, I would put the mail in a pile or I'd put it in one of those like little mail slot things, you know, that you sort of store your mail. And I'd be like, okay, I'll deal with the mail at another time. But over the past, I don't know, 10 years, I have engaged in a practice where as soon as I get the mail, I deal with it. So if, if there's a bill, I immediately pay it and put it and put the, you know, uh, letter back in the mailbox. If there's recycling, I immediately recycle it. If, if there's something that I need to open and deal with for work, I immediately process it because I have a lot of claims and stuff that I send for private practice. And so now that takes time, right? It takes time to do that right away. But the difference is, is I save a lot of time because I, I don't spend time looking at that stuff, wondering when I'm going to do it. <laughs> I also save a lot of time in that nothing gets late and, and, I, and nothing's hanging over my head, which is a huge waste of time. When you have things hanging over your head and you worry about it, that's a huge waste of time. And so, so whenever I can, I try to do it right away. Uh, another example of this is that when I go to the grocery store, I use those reusable bags, you know? And when I go to the grocery store and I get home, I unload all the groceries and then I immediately put those bags back in the car. And I know that sounds kind of like a small thing, but it's just an example of how, and I do this primarily for time management, in that in the past, I would bring in the groceries and I'd have my my three reusable bags, you know, those plastic, those like, you know what I'm talking about, reusable grocery bags. And I would put them aside in the house somewhere. I'd be like, okay, well, before I go grocery shopping, I I have to make sure I bring these to the car. Because I would, whenever I would go to the grocery store, I would be like, oh crap, I forgot those bags at home. (laughs) And so I would waste all this time trying to like, okay, where are those bags? And wait, I got to make sure I bring those bags to the car. And Oh, I'm halfway to the grocery store. Crap, where are them bags? Better go back for the bags. And or getting all getting too many paper sacks from from the grocery store and wondering what you're what I'm gonna do with them and da da da. And so what I figured out was look, as soon as you're done putting away the groceries, it just takes literally 15, 30 seconds to walk outside, put the bags back in the car, and you're done. You you don't have to think about it anymore. The next time you go to the grocery store, you're guaranteed to have them. They're not sitting around the house. They're not. They're not occupying your. They're not occupying your your mind space. And so it's just now. Again, it might sound like I'm obsessed with this, but it was just a, a split second decision based on time management to do that. I just said there was a there was a there's a transition time there where I was like, what am I gonna? I don't. I don't really feel great about my grocery bag system here? What would make it better? And I was like, you know what? Just buckle down and put them back in the car. Very easy to do. Save you a lot of time and effort. All right. Another thing that I do is I try to figure out what gives me meaning. And I've talked about this, you know, previous already, but the point is, is that, you know, the concept of wasting one's time is only relevant if you know what is worth your time, right? And the only way you know what is worth your time if, is if you if you know the purpose of your life or you have a notion of what the meaning of your life is. Now, of course, that sounds like a lofty goal, but I think all of us have to determine that. Why are we on this planet? What are we, what are we supposed to do with our time? 
Now, for some people, that means raising kids. And for, for others, it means devoting themselves to God. Others, it means giving back to the community. Others, me, For others, it means providing for their family monetarily. For others, it means trying to make a difference in the world. For others, it means creativity. And so there's a lot of different meanings. But the point is, is that I, early in life, thought, what am I doing on this planet and why am I here? And early in my life, I figured out that I found it very um, meaningful and gratifying to try to make a difference in the world, to, to, in my tiny little way, try to enhance the world, try to make it a better place, try to help people, try to soothe people's anxieties, try to try to entertain whatever. And early in life, I decided that I I discovered that because I thought about it so much, you know? And so when I am doing the podcast, when I'm at work, when I'm with students, when I'm with my supervisees, when I'm with clients, when I'm doing music, because that's another meaning in my life that I discovered early was like music and creating music is a huge meaning has a huge uh, place in my meaning structure. (laughs) And so when I'm doing those things, I am not wasting my time. When I'm, when I am trying, when I got my degree to become a therapist, that was a lot of time I had to spend on that, but it was worth it because it gave me the ability to help people and gave me education in terms of trying to help people. And so, so all of that, was there wasn't a single second that was wasted in the in that endeavor because of how much meaning I find in that for me and uh, and so when something is not in service of that and I have the option not to do it then I don't do it right so mowing my lawn every saturday to me has nothing to do with the meaning of my life and therefore I don't do it. Therefore, I do it as 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 little as possible. You know. Now, some of you might be thinking, "My God, he must have this really awful lawn." That's yeah, you know, long and blah blah blah. It's it's not that bad. It it uh, I I have a I have a, at least enough house shame to mow it enough so that on the block anyway that I live on. Um, let's just say there's a lot worse lawns on my block. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, so my point is, is that lawn has nothing to do with the meaning of my meaning in my life. Working on the podcast has exactly to do with the meaning of my life. Um, uh, commuting to work has nothing to do with the meaning of my life. So how can I work around that? Anyway, also think about how to organize things which I don't think I need to explain more. Um, also, another thing here, here is having the right tool. My mom always says, there's nothing like having the right tool. I think she might have got that from her dad. <laughs> but anyway, I, there's, a, there's a fair amount of things that I do on the computer. I, I prepare for the podcast on a computer by writing notes on a computer. I use a program to record the podcast that's on the computer. I browse the internet to research for things on the computer. I, 
you know, so that's just for podcasts, but also I, I use email a lot cause I, uh, work from home a lot at Antioch as a professor, I've worked it so I can work at home a lot. And so there's a lot of emails and stuff. And so for me, in order for me to be the most productive and the, and to not waste time is for me to have a, a, a desktop computer and not a laptop computer. When I have a desktop computer, I can have a huge screen. My screen is large because I want to be able to see things <laughs> I also have a keyboard that is, you know, laptop keyboards are not ideal. I also, you know, I have a mouse and I have a desk and and I keep the desk clear and I make sure my desktop is running smoothly and I have enough data and I have a good internet plan and all that kind of, I make sure all that's all that is running extremely smoothly. I make sure that my my office is comfortable, my chair is comfortable. Blah, blah. I really make sure because I spend a lot of time on the computer doing various different things for my job and for socializing and for creative projects. And when I record music, it's basically through a program on the computer. And so there's a lot of time spent on the computer. And there are people who have very similar lives to me, but yet they use a laptop, which now maybe they can use the laptop and everything's grand for them. But I don't understand that because... When I'm on my laptop, I, I feel really confined by this by the by the format of a laptop. And again, this has to do somewhat with privilege, although in some ways desktop computers are cheaper than laptops. But but I find that for whatever reason today, laptops there are people at some point in the last ten or fifteen years, people started just buying laptops for their computer and stopped buying desktops. And I don't understand that. I consider that to be a cultural thing that happened. Now, there's nothing wrong with sometimes laptops are amazing because you can you can use it anywhere. You can go to the coffee shop and stuff, and and you know there's definite pros to that. But there are massive cons to a freaking laptop. And so if you're, you know, one of the things that people always comment on me about is that I am extremely fast at getting back to them on email. There are students that will come to me and say, you know what, Kirk. Not only are you the only professor that replies to my emails, but you reply within seconds of me sending you the email. Now, from that, it would seem that I am sitting there just waiting for someone to email me, but that's not the case. What I'm doing is I'm doing various different projects, maybe creative, maybe work on my desktop, and it's very easy for me to know when I get an email and I can instantly reply back. And it's very low effort for me to reply back because I have this huge desk and I have this nice mouse and I have a nice keyboard and I have a nice screen and everything. Internet is fast. and Everything is wonderful for me. <laughs> and so, so my point is, is my point is, is not for everyone to have a desktop, but my point is, is that for me in my life having, and I, and I, cause I've thought about it, you know, there are times that I've been like, man, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have this huge tower of a computer and I could, you know, da, da, da. And for me, the tool of a, of a good enough desktop is a huge time saver to me because I don't have to waste time in other ways. Um, you know, other things are like having the right car. Maybe you need a bigger car. So maybe you need to buy a used car. And so it's bigger. So I don't know. Having the right lawnmower, for example, I've had crappy lawnmowers in the past and wasted a lot of time trying to trying to make that crappy lawnmower work. And, and it's like, you know, just 
And oh, another wonderful thing is the right vacuum cleaner. For many years, I had a very crappy vacuum cleaner and would waste a lot of time trying to make that vacuum cleaner work. And then for just a little bit more, I bought a, a better vacuum cleaner. And this thing saves me so much time because it it picks up so quickly. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, so you're really going to think I'm obsessed with time uh, management when I tell you this. So one of them, probably 50% of the reason why, maybe 75% of the reason I bought the particular vacuum cleaner I bought is because it has this this electric cord management thing where all you have to do is press, you, you step on a button with your foot and it retracts the power cord. So I unplug it, I step on this button and it, and the, 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 the cord is gone and it's sucked up into the, into the vacuum cleaner. And I've had this particular model of vacuum cleaner. I think it's like my third, third time buying this particular vacuum cleaner. I think it's a Hoover. I don't know. And I, again, 75%. And now when I would go look at other vacuum cleaners, I would, I would find that others might be a little better, but they didn't have that functionality. You still had to wrap the vacuum cleaner um, cord around the thing. Now, part of that has to do with just my annoyance with having to unravel and ravel a cord every time. But, but part of it has to do with time management in terms of, the amount of time I'm going to spend in my life with this freaking vacuum cleaner cord, as opposed to with, with this crappy vacuum cleaner, as opposed to this other vacuum cleaner that retracts it very quickly, I might gain a day of my life. I mean, that I literally think about stuff like that. It sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's how I think. Uh, and, I, and I think it gives me more time to do other things that I find to be more meaningful, like not wrapping cords around vacuum cleaners. Um, also getting lower on my notes here, reducing your commute. I think I've gone over that. Um, also, and this is kind of a big one is learning why you are avoiding the recognition of time. You know, maybe you're suffering from grief and the recognition of time means that you have to accept that other people are going to pass away. And so you're avoiding the notion of time because of that, which is fine. You know, grief has a lot of effects and that might be one of them. Maybe there's some trauma that you went through in your life that makes it hard for you to think about this sort of stuff. So this one is, of course, Easy, much easier said than done. But the point is, is that there could be other reasons that are wound-based that might create barriers to you thinking about time and time management and to take care of yourself in that way. Uh, that's a huge topic that I won't go too into. Also, another thing here that I thought of later as I was writing these notes is reducing the trauma in your life. For me, I have been slowly trying to reduce the um, amount of difficulties I go through in a week. You know, in the past, there I, I would have certain lifestyles or certain job situations where it would put me in contact with people that would at least make me feel icky or at, at worst would really traumatize me. 
And so, so, you know, for an example, I'd be at work and I'd be interacting with someone and, and they freak me out and they frequently will be hostile with me or just make me feel humiliated or demeaned or something. And that person would, because they would make me feel so horrible, not only would I waste a lot of time just thinking about it, but I'd waste a lot of time trying to cope with it. It, would, it might take me like a couple of days to recover from that interaction with that person at work. And so that's a huge waste of time. In my, that, you know, that's nothing to do with the meaning of my life. In fact, it's the opposite. And so, so part of my time management practice is trying to eliminate those people from my life through a systematic campaign of of not just necessarily drawing boundaries, but also figuring out a way to diplomatically remove myself from my contact with those people. Not being program director has, has something to do with that. So now that I'm just core faculty, I don't have contact with certain people that actually would f- feel threatening to me at work, if that makes any sense. And so, so that's another thing to think about. You know, if, if you're at work or you have someone in your personal life who you feel is really dragging you down and really making you feel bad about yourself and, and causing you the need to go home and drink alcohol just to cope or something or smoke weed to cope. Thinking about how to eliminate those people from your life can actually uh, be a time management practice. Another thing to think about is being careful with vacations. This is something I've given some thought to, which is when we do have free time, what do, sometimes we think about doing vacations and being very careful about how we spend our time on vacations. Because for me, I have wasted entire you know vacations on things that I shouldn't have wasted my time on. Halfway through, I'm like, oh my God, I made the wrong choice with this vacation. I'm wasting my time. And that requires being intentional, knowing what you want to do with your time, knowing what will make you feel good at the end of the vacation. And sometimes we have these cultural notions that push us in a particular direction, like, well, you have to go to some exotic place and you have to do all these different things. And maybe that's not for you. So that's just another little thing I thought about. Um, the last thing I'll say is don't, don't shame yourself for not doing these things. <laughs> there. Uh, it's it's similar to if you want to lose weight you you probably should stop shaming yourself for not losing weight. In the same way if you want more time in your life you probably should not shame yourself for not having more time in your life. There's no reason why any of this anything in this topic should make you feel bad about yourself. If, if you want to increase the time in your life, then, you know, endeavor at once a day for two minutes to think about it. That's all, you know, just two minutes a day, just think, hmm, how can I, is there anything I can do today or is there anything I can do right now to save time or to get time or what's the meaning of my life? You know, that's all it really takes. It doesn't take a lot of time. But if you're spending a lot of time just, just loathing yourself for like, oh my God, I just wasted five hours watching TV or oh my God, like um, my commute is three hours long every day. And like, what, how do I change this? Like, how did I make this stupid life of mine? 
And that is not the point. Not only is shame just not fair to you, but it also is a huge waste of time. If, if you feel as though you want more time and you feel as though you're wasting your time, then, you know, think about it. But being ashamed about it and feeling bad about yourself, like that is not, that's just not fair to you. Um, the last thing that's coming to mind right now that I didn't talk about is, and this is maybe particular to people in Seattle, but so I'll, I'll just talk about people in Seattle. Maybe it'll apply to your neck of the woods, but people in Seattle are obsessed with homes. They're obsessed because there's, there's this thing in Seattle where, cause there's, there's enough space in Seattle that people can actually get really nice, big homes. Um, and Americans love huge homes. They love commutes and all this. They love three, four car garages and they love big lawns and they, love, you know, and so there's a, there's an American ideal of, of just having a humongous house. And what I'll say to that is that that mindset is a, can be a huge waste of time. Now, if you're super into huge houses and you love all that kind of stuff, then great. But let me explain. So not all, so when you are looking for a big house, you basically have to go farther and farther outside of the city. And what that oftentimes means for people is that extends their commute. So their, their attempt at gaining a huge house basically means they're, they're doubling or tripling their commute time, which again is a huge waste of time. The other thing that happens is you end up spending a lot of money on your house, which means that you have to work more which means that you have to spend much more time at work, which means you can't spend your money on other things, which is, which is again, related to time. The other thing that people will do is they'll say, well, we can't afford a super big, nice house in the city, so we'll buy a fixer-upper. And let me tell you, as a person who's been through a major renovation of a house uh, that was do-it-yourself and on the cheap, it is a that is one of the biggest uses of one's time is house renovation. My God, did I? Now, when I look back at the house that I ran, I don't live in that house anymore, but when I look back at that, I, I kind of enjoy, I, I look back on it mostly fondly of like, man, I really learned a lot about all that stuff. I learned a lot about homes and home renovation and drywall and, and plumbing and tile work and, HVAC and electricity and the fuse box. And I I just learned a lot about that. And for the most part, I consider it having been worth it. But there's definitely another pretty big part of me that considers it to have been a complete waste of time. There, the amount of time I spent on that, uh, on renovating that house was just so great. So my point is, is that the cultural notion that was influencing me was I need to have the perfect house and I need a, a big enough house, a perfect house and close enough to the city. And that whole notion after I sold that house, I completely um, let go of, I was just like spending that much time and effort and energy and money into a home is for me, not how I want to spend the rest of my life. I I don't imagine when I am on my deathbed, I'm going to look back and think, I'm so glad I spent all that time renovating my house. (laughs) Or I'm so glad I spent all that time 
choosing to update the color of the walls or choosing to spend all that money on that furniture or something. I, for me, I just don't imagine I'm going to I'm going to say that. So, although, yeah, of course I would love to have the perfect house, a large house. I would love, love all that stuff because there's definite pros to those things. But when I think about the bigger picture of like how much time and money it takes to get what I want, do I want to spend that time and effort and, and money on to get that thing? And my, and my answer is I have an in-between answer to that. It's like I definitely want a nice, comfortable house that feels good to me. But I don't want it to – but there's a certain level of fanciness that I'm capable of achieving. But I don't want to waste the time and energy and, and money to get there. But if I was just uh, riding or operating on autopilot, I would probably spend the time to do that because I would, I would be tricked by the cultural notions that that's what's important in life. Now, again, if your house to now, some people I I know people close to me actually who consider their house and the renovation of their house to be a huge meaning in their life. They they put a ton of effort into it and they create a they've created a beautiful house that is you know super unique and fun and functional and it's a fun place to visit. And so for them, it's great. And so again, throughout this whole thing, I'm not saying you are supposed to have my values or anyone is supposed to have my values. But the point is, is I thought about it and I thought about what's important to me and what brings me meaning in life and what doesn't bring meaning in life and what's the balance and what's the cost and what's the, what's the sacrifice for getting that particular meaning? What, what other meanings am I going to lose? in terms of trying to achieve that meaning in my life. Anyway, <laughs> at the end of this, I'm just sure you listeners out there just being like, okay, so when I started listening to this podcast, I thought, you know, we're going to get a couple tips on how to save time, you know, maybe like a to-do list or that kind of thing. And, and boy, what I learned, what, what I learned about this, you know, at the end of this podcast is Kirk is obsessed with time management. <laughs> and, you know, in a certain way, I suppose you'd be right. Uh, well, uh, what could I say in summary? Protect the time you have left. Find meaning in your, in your life so it can guide you. Be thoughtful of the systems that you engage in um, and have thoughtful systems uh, to evaluate your time. Think about how much TV you're watching. Get enough sleep every night. Have the right tool. And if you can, try to reduce your commute. And also don't give in to the cultural notions about what's worth your time. Unless those happen to coincide with your own values. All right. Well, that does it for that obsessive episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself. And have a meaningful day. And and have meaningful um, spending of your time because you deserve it.